What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement, Omron. As you guys know, we took a little bit of a hiatus. We posted our last video on Saturday. This is going to come out on Wednesday. I turned 21 on Monday, so I took a little bit of a long weekend, hung out with some friends who were back from home from college, did some drinking, some hanging out with some friends and family. It was a fun, you know, few days there also really appreciate all the birthday wishes you guys gave me a lot of you guys reached out say said hey happy birthday you've been crushing it on youtube recently and i appreciate you guys so much for that it's crazy to think like a year ago we weren't even at a thousand subscribers we hit nine thousand subscribers yesterday so really really cool stuff i'm very thankful for all of you guys that you know continue to follow me and allow me to kind of you know pursue my dreams in this space now what we're going to be talking about today done with the sappy reflective stuff stuff is going to be the dynasty rankings i released a massive update on the patreon and i always flex this but this is such a i'm telling you there's no one out there that's doing it quite like this where you got the positional rankings like this is the quarterbacks 11 through 19 you got the trade value tiers their ranking their prospect tiers. so what did the rs grade model say about them their archetype do they rush a ton buy slash sell what would i do if i had them on my roster and what we're going to talk about today is that change one so we're going to talk about five players that are skyrocketing up my rankings i pretty much just went to each position sorted it and just kind of picked out the names that stuck out to me and as you guys can see you know jalen hurts is there he moved up four spots with the aj brown trade we had justin fields he moved down he moved back one because of that so that is all reflected on the patreon patreon.com ron stewart if you want access to the complete rankings that'll be there if not uh I appreciate any and all likes, subscribes on the channel. It helps the boy out a ton. We're going to talk about five players skyrocketing up my rankings. And as always, let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm and the first guy we're going to talk about is actually the one that we mentioned in the intro. And it's Jalen Hurts. And he was my 308 as my quarterback 15 and he's now my 209 as my quarterback 11. So he goes up four quarterback spots and about a whole round in startup draft positioning. And I really just want to talk about what Jalen Hurts is. Not even so much that I'm coming around with Jalen Hurts, it is, but it's also this Eagles offense as a whole. And I'm going to sound like a, a broken record by the end of this offseason because I think this is going to be something that I will be talking about a ton because I'm going to be betting very heavily on this Eagles offense. I'm already on uh, underdog playing best ball, doing um, best ball mania drafts, and I'm already taking, you know, if, if you're going to give me A.J. Brown and redraft at like the 2-3 turn, I'll take that all day. I, I do not care about like the projected low ceiling of the passing volume. This feels very similar, the Eagles offense situation, to the Ravens last year. Remember where they draft two wide receivers in the top three rounds, they get Sammy Watkins, they go from 32nd in pass attempts per game to ninth. Now, I know a part of it was... Dobbins goes down, Gus Edwards goes down, their back's kind of against the wall. But I would, you know, kind of argue there is that the Eagles running back room isn't amazing. They have Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. That isn't the same level of rush attack of a Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. It's also not the same rush attack of like a Derrick Henry on the Titans. We also had the NFL draft. They could have drafted a Brees Hall. They could have drafted a Kenneth Walker if they wanted to, uh, you know, pound the rock and establish the run. They didn't, they didn't address the running back position until after the draft where they signed undrafted free agent kennedy brooks out of oklahoma but they turned around and they spent their 18th overall pick and a third rounder on aj brown it just doesn't seem to me like this is a front office that wants to come into the season and rely on the run unlike a tennessee or unlike a you know a ravens team a few years ago 
it doesn't make a ton of sense. I don't know why they wouldn't attack the running back position and they would go so aggressively at wide receiver this year if passing the football wasn't on their mind. It's also worth remembering, uh, again, I'm gonna. this is going to be stuff that I bring up all offseason. It's going to get very annoying, guys, but we're going to be betting very heavily on the Eagles' pass attack, pass attack pretty much. And this is what they wanted to do last year. So Nick Sirianni comes in, new, new head coach, comes in, offensive-minded head coach from the Indianapolis. He comes in and wants to establish his offense. Through six weeks, they had the fifth highest passing volume per game on a neutral game script basis. So in neutral passing situations, it's not garbage time. They were passing the ball the fifth most in the league. Up there were teams like the Bills, the Chiefs, the Buccaneers. Good teams. Then, you know, you had the quarterback, or not the quarterback, but just the passing game kind of struggled, especially with, you know, Jalen Rager being literally your wide receiver too, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Quez Walk, and they didn't have anybody outside of a rookie, Devonta Smith, and two tight ends. It's hard for an average NFL passer like Jalen Hurts to succeed in that offense. He also had a ton of injuries hit the Eagles, and they kind of reverted back to this very high volume rush attempt offense where they led the league in most rush attempts per game at the end of the season they ran a ton on the back half and it's honestly a testament to Nick Sirianni who I was pretty I was pretty pessimistic on his outlook with the Eagles but it was actually pretty admirable how he sort of he pretty much changed his offense on the fly to kind of fit your his team's needs which is massive if you have a coach who like he's already shown us that he's going to mold the offense to the talents of his offense so it's very hard for me where I have a, a, a guy in Mike Clay who I respect tremendously. He works at ESPN. He does projections and he's very conservative. So him being conservative means that he had the Eagles having, I want to say like the most rush attempts in 2022, or at least like the second highest rush attempts in 2022. He still believes that next year they're going to be rush heavy because they were last year. It would simply shock me if they came out and decided to do the same thing. I, I really don't think that you're going to have Nick Sirianni come in there. He wanted to bring in a passing game that he's going to sit there and see, you know, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, and think to himself, it is efficient for Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, and Boston Scott to get 25 carries a game. I, I don't see a world where that makes sense to him. Now, when we have Jalen Hurts, and I'm talking a ton about this passing game stuff, I'll be honest with you guys, it doesn't... He doesn't need, like for Jalen Hurts to thrive, he doesn't need a super high passing volume because of his scrambling. He is just insane when it comes to scrambling. But when you have, you know, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, I would say that that's like a top three weapons trio in the league. It gives the offense itself of like scoring touchdowns and putting up a ton of yards a massive ceiling if they were to pass the ball uh, more. And with that, I think, you know, Jalen Hurts at this point, in terms of a dynasty asset, I believe, like, I think a thing I'm going to have this offseason, I think that he should be a dark horse to finish QB1 overall in all of fantasy, Jalen Hurts. If they decide to pass the, the ball more, give him the keys to the offense, they score, they hit an efficiency uh, spike. Like, it it wouldn't shock me at all. Quarterback is very random when it comes to efficiency. or not very random. That's probably a poor choice of words. But quarterbacks can just sort of, mostly Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, where you do it every single year quarterbacks they'll stumble like you know every few years and on an efficiency spike they have a super high td rate we saw it with aaron Rodgers, i believe like two years ago we saw it with lamar jackson in his mvp campaign jalen hurts gets an efficiency spike in his touchdown rate and his projection of like 20-ish passing touchdowns goes to like 31 32 you're looking at a it would be tough not to be qb1 overall if jalen hurts can get in the range of like 30 to 35 passing touchdowns now this is his projection 
for Mac or with Mike Clay. And again, this is assuming a bottom five, uh, a a top five rush attempt per game type offense. And even still, he has so like three thousand passing yards, twenty three touchdowns, twelve interceptions. Not not great. But on the ground, 700 rushing yards, nine touchdowns, and he's the quarterback four in Mike Clay's projections. And that is pretty much where this offense is at its absolute floor. Now, if it does, if they do tilt the scales, right, and they tilt the scales to passing the ball more, sure, Jalen Hurts' rushing is going to get a little bit cut off, but he's they're still going to go to him in the red zone. That nine rushing touchdown number maybe goes down to like eight or seven. Even then, I think that's a stretch. And a lot of his runs aren't designed. They're scrambles. I, I think that if, if you had them crank the you know, sort of crank that dial up a little bit for more pass attempts. I think that it would come out of Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell's, Boston Scott's pockets, not so much Jalen Hurts. So you get that coupled with more pass attempts. He gets an efficiency spike. There is a pathway for him to have just an absolute monster year. Now, again, this is his projections by Mike Clay on the 31st most dropbacks in the NFL per his projections. Now, again, I don't believe that this is going to be what happens. I think they're going to be somewhere in the area of like top. I would expect top 10 to 15 pass attempts per game to start the year. Now, I think people will sort of disagree with this. But the question sort of becomes, you know, can Jalen Hurts handle that? And I think that that's what they're trying to figure out. And I think that's why they're probably going to crank the the passing volume on the offense. I heard Hayden Wings talk about this on the underdog show. Brought up a great point is they're building the offense because what they wanted to do early last year was have a very high passing volume attack. They're bringing in A.J. Brown so that they can let Jalen Hurts have that high passing volume attack with all the weapons that he needs with a fine offensive line. And they're going to give him every opportunity to see if he can sustain a, a high passing volume attack. And if not, then they'll tweak things to Jalen Hurts' needs. And then next offseason with two 2023 firsts, they'll send out Jalen Hurts. Now... That is the downside of Jalen Hurts, the dynasty asset. I know we've kind of been talking big picture stuff about the Eagles, but Jalen Hurts, the dynasty asset, that's his biggest question is he's a stud. He already has like a, a quarterback six finish. He's projected to be a top five guy by Mike Clay this year. But if he can't be a franchise quarterback, this is all short term stuff. You know, if he's if he's not starting again past this year, how can you invest in him in dynasty? Now, when we talk about Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from a throwing standpoint, I think it's really overstated how bad he was at throwing the football. I really don't think that he was that bad. Now, one of my quarterback stats that I absolutely love looking at is big-time throws to turnover-worthy plays. Now, this is just very simply big-time throws are big-time throws where they're either super far downfield. They're, you know, they're throws where when a quarterback does it, it's like, ooh, that's that's a pretty crazy throw there. Or like into a tight window or a touchdown, something like that. Or a turnover. And then with turnover-worthy plays, we have you know, uh, interceptable throws, interceptions, like maybe uh, this could have been a fumble here. The The whole breakdown of big-time throws, a turnover-worthy play ratio that I like is it's just at the quarterback position, very simply, does the good make up for the bad at the quarterback position? And Jalen Hurts had 23 big-time throws, which was the 14th most. And again, that's on a league-low pass volume, right? So the, the he had the least amount of pass attempts in the league on a per-game basis, but he was 14th in big-time throws. On a percentage basis, on a per-throw basis, he had the ninth highest big-time throw percentage with 5% of his passes being considered big-time throws. Now, he also had 18 turnover-worthy plays, so that sounds like a lot, but it was 16th in the NFL. And remember, low passing volume again. He was 15th in turnover-worthy play percentage. And that ratio of 23 to 18, on a per-throw basis, he's throwing a ton of big-time throws at a top-10 rate. And a 23 to 18 big-time throw to turnover-worthy play ratio 
isn't that bad. Tua had 10 to 22. A guy that people think, I think if you asked a bunch of people who would be the better real-life quarterback, I think that they would probably lean Tua. He had 10 to 22 last year. Jalen Hurts had 23 to 18. Other quarterbacks that were in that range last year was Mahomes, who had 23 to 22, so that he had a better ratio than Mahomes. Lamar Jackson had 19 to 18. He had a better ratio than Lamar Jackson, who's kind of like the mold that we want Jalen Hurts to fit into of one of those quarterbacks who you just need him to be a league average thrower of the football because you just want him to be, you know, he needs to be a league average thrower of the football because of what he brings as a dynamic threat to your offense. Now, when we go a little bit further than that, Jalen Hurts, year three comps in my model are also really strong. I, 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 I really don't know what else to say besides I think that the idea that he can't pass the ball or that he can't be a long-term star in the NFL, I think it's overstated. His year three comps look great. Now, what I end up doing here is I pretty much sort by their prospect, prospect tier. So Jalen Hurts was a gold. Uh, I, include elite in, uh, I include elite and silver in his comps. And I pretty much found his who had the most similar stats to his rookie year from a passing grade, adjusted yards per attempt, and points per game standpoint. And then from that bucket, who had the most similar year three? And this is what it spits out. Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Robert Griffin, Kyler Murray, Marcus Mariota. And I have passing stats on here. These are, besides point per game, these are all passing stats. PFF passing grade in year two. He is a 73.4, which is second among this entire list. In terms of year two PFF pass grade, he is only behind Kyler Murray in a list of Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Robert Griffin, Kyler Murray. Or no, he's behind Kyler Murray. But Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, two guys who are considered very good throwers of the football. You also look at adjusted yards per attempt. He's third in adjusted yards per attempt or tied for third adjusted yards per attempt with a 7.1. He's tied with Kyler Murray for adjusted yards per attempt in year two. I think it's a stretch to say that he you know, is not, or no, he's tied for fourth in adjusted yards per attempt. He has Cam Newton up there and you have Marcus Mariota up there, but he's, he's in lockstep with Mariota. He has higher than Josh Allen, than Dak Prescott, than Robert Griffin, who was really good in his day. He was also second in points per game with 21.4 last year. You know, two of these stats being passing stats. He's, he's among all, he's among the top dogs in every single one of those stats in this list. I just don't think that he gets a fair shake as like not only just a, a great fantasy quarterback, but he is a real life difference maker. And I think it, I think it's overlooked, you know, as a rushing threat. I think that people kind of equate, you know, rushing the football or whatever. It really only affects fantasy, but it doesn't. I mean, like you, you have a different dynamic to your offense when you can rush the ball, like with with Josh Allen, where he's like mobile and dynamic and he can get you. You know, you have the weird plays that they'll call or I mean, not anymore because Dable's gone, but like the weird like read options they'll do or like just quarterback sweeps, quarterback powers. You have uh, him extending plays at the end of the game against the Chiefs where he's like rolling out. He like stiff arms the one guy and he just chucks it into the end zone. You you open yourself up. You open yourself up to a complete a complete like different t style of offense that a defense has to prepare for. You also create efficiency for your running backs where now because you can extend plays and run the ball, it freezes up the linebackers. You know, a lot of your inside handoffs look like read options. So you always have like one guy that's kind of frozen there. You can extend plays when you're throwing the ball. You can sort of have to cause a, either a D lineman to stand up and spy or like a, a, a linebacker to spy. There's a lot of different things. You can also move the chains with the scramble. He's also, a guy like Jalen Hurts, who's like so big, like a Josh Allen in the red zone, it's an absolute nightmare. That's why he's projected for nine rushing touchdowns from a conservative projector. It's wild. You can you can run your offense in a different way than a lot of people can, and you're you're providing like expected points added on your rushes. Now, again, this guy is a monster for 2022. 
when you look at underdog he on underdog this is you know one of the most efficient markets out there this is adp from like 25 dollars leagues here the market is only confident in redraft that josh allen patrick mahomes lamar jackson justin herbert Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow will outscore Jalen Hurts this year. He is QB7. He's ahead of Russell Wilson and ahead of Dak Prescott, two guys who go ahead of him in dynasty leagues. It's tough, man. Now, I just want to make it clear, like, you guys are like, you might, might be like, why are you using, like, underdog ADP or whatever? This is easily the most efficient way to look at, you know, ADP for 2022. I just think it's important, right? Jalen Hurts is, like, maybe the, of those top seven quarterbacks, he's probably the youngest one. Maybe him and Herbert are like the youngest guys. It's crazy. Now, again, I know it's a long-term starter concerns, but in terms of just this year, he's going to give you crazy, crazy difference-making production. And then if he's a long-term starter, he's going to give you crazy, crazy difference-making production for five-plus years, which is massive, massive wins above replacement in Dynasty. Now, this is ADP from Underdog. Underdog does great things over there. I believe I still have the graphic here. Yeah, Underdog has great great stuff over there you can play in their like best ball mania tournament which has like i think like two million dollars to first place a million dollars to the regular season winner it's like their biggest tournament ever use my promo code ron you deposit ten dollars they'll match ten dollars they'll do that all the way up to 100 so if you deposit a hundred dollars they will match 100 dollars. i'm telling you guys i'm already getting entries in the winner last year drafted in june you can get some crazy crazy values where you know last year you could have drafted guys I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but like Amon Ross St. Brown was like an 18th round pick, and then those rookies gained steam later on. So you're kind of seeing that with guys like Jahan Dotson and stuff. But again, when you're watching these NBA games, if you know you're taking, when I take my dog on a walk in the morning, I'll just fire up a draft. If you're doing, if you're running on the treadmill at the gym, fire up a draft, and you can go out there, try and win some life changing money. Now, back to Jalen Hurts. I've been going on this for, for way too long, most likely. I think that we're almost at 20 minutes on just Jalen Hurts here. But to be clear, where I'm at with Jalen Hurts, is I think that it is under. I think that it's overstated his his questionable outlook as a long term starter. He gives you so much. He gives you such an advantage right now. And I personally have him in dynasty. I have him in the same tier as a Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Trey Lance. You know, give me him over. Like I don't see the appeal of taking like an Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford over Jalen Hurts. Both of those guys are low end QB ones statues. They could only start for the next one or two years. Give me Jalen Hurts over Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, who have only played like Jalen Hurts. The other thing is, too, he's played, he started like 18 games so far. He's literally only started 18 games. He has only started five, like five more games than Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. And he looks way better than those guys, even just as real life quarterbacks, never mind fantasy quarterbacks. So. I, I don't know. I think that I think Jalen Hurts is going to unfair fake uh, an, un, an unfair shake at it. At being a long-term quarterback he has aj brown now i'm i'm pretty much all in I, I recently traded for him i believe i gave up i gave up the 102 and marcus Mariota for jalen hurts in a league but we'll finally talk about something else but he's actually going to be in, on the same team we're going to talk about kenneth gainwell who was my 15 12 as my rb 51 and is now my 1209 as my rb 39 and this is just because i want to piggyback a little bit on jalen hurts here but again i'm going to be very high on the eagles this year now this was a team I was expecting to add an Isaiah Spiller, a Brees Hall early, a Kenneth uh, Kenneth Walker, but they decided not to, which means Miles Sanders, who has missed five games last season and four the season before that, if he goes down at any point, Kenneth Gainwell is competing with Boston Scott and undrafted free agent Kennedy Brooks for carries. I like that bet. 
Now, on top of that, you have them adding A.J. Brown. So now this is an offense that can have some upside as like a top 10 scoring type offense is what, I, what I've been talking about. And when you have a situation like that with A.J. Brown and a lot of a lot of opportunity for efficiency to spike, you want to have running backs in those ambiguous, you know, committee type backfields where, you know, Miles Sanders never is never going to be a 20 carry bell cow type guy. There were numerous points last year where like Jordan Howard and Boston Scott were both startable. I like Kenneth Gainwell to not only have like handcuff appeal, but to kind of have some standalone value as a change of pace, like space back in this offense. I also loved him coming out or I also loved him coming out. He was one of those rare guys like Isaiah Spiller that was a day three running back, but was also a silver prospect in the RS grading system. So he grades out as silver, which means that you have a, I want to say a 25% chance at an RB1 season. And these are the guys that are in that area. You have Isaiah Spiller, who I highlighted for that video, but you also have Kenneth Gainwell in there next to like Jordan Howard, Antonio Pittman, Lamar Miller. I'm trying to think the guys that kind of fit him well in terms of like RAS and, um, 40-yard dashes. I guess Jordan Howard, but he's he's much smaller than a Jordan Howard. A Devonta Freeman, a I mean like Jaquiz Rogers. I mean Spillers in there, but yeah, it, it's a it's not a bad spot to be in. I want to say Lamar Miller has had decent fantasy finishes. Same with Jay Ajayi, Jordan Howard, Devonta Freeman. Obviously, it's a good cohort to be a part of for a day three running back. Gainwell again was a really really solid running back prospect last year, despite day three draft capital. So I like him. I moved him, what, like RB39 to RB51 to RB39. I think that he is very interesting uh, because the Eagles didn't add anybody to that backfield in the NFL draft. Next up, we'll talk about Travis Etienne. And he went from my 509 as RB16 to 412 as RB10. And Etienne is someone I've been kind of come, coming around on at this point. I, I originally had him in that next tier of... You know, you have like Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins all in like a big jumble. And then I had Etienne in that next tier where it was like Derrick Henry, Etienne, Nick Chubb, David Montgomery, that area. Now I kind of just don't really see a, a big difference between him and like the Dobbins and Akers types where they're also young running backs coming off injuries, but they're going into year three, whereas Etienne's going into year two. So when you have that, that injury happening a little bit earlier and you're like a year earlier in the process, you have a little bit more upside. And I also didn't think that his 2022 projection would be so close to a J.K. Dobbins. In Underdog, we're seeing him go RB22. We're seeing Dobbins go RB19, getting drafted pretty much in the same area. I think only like 10 picks apart at that point. So if that's really the only the only gap there between a Dobbins and a ETN in the near term. And then on top of that, Travis Etienne just having a completely different receiving skill set than a Dobbins or Akers, just a completely different upside in terms of receiving than those guys. I like him to be in the same tier as those guys. Um, he's also going to have every opportunity to show that he is that guy early on. You have James Robinson, who probably needs to get up to speed over the first few weeks with his Achilles injuries. The Jaguars only added Snoop Connor to the backfield, so it's pretty much ETN's job to lose early on. Now, the biggest issue with ETN that pretty much sends me into a whirlwind as a numbers nerd that wants comps for everything and wants to see everything through there is no there is no first round running back that looked like etn that just didn't play a single snap you have guys who played like a couple games here and there or guys who looked bad to the point where it looked like they didn't play any games but i think it's unkind to count etn zero as like a um like a sony michelle type zero or like a melvin gordon type zero where they just didn't play well on the field where it's not that etn didn't play well it's just that he didn't play at all which we don't really have a big sample for those guys now when you look at just what he was looking like coming out of school, this is why I'm very excited about ETN. His prospect profile was really, really strong. 
my model gave him a 9.73 out of 10, which is really, really strong. He is in the upper part of elite tier of running backs. I want to say uh, Brees Hall out of 10 was only in the... I'm trying to think. I think that he was only in like the 8.2 range, 8.9 range, somewhere there. He didn't crack nine. So ETN, the, the model liked ETN more than Brees Hall at this point. Now, the only running backs to be in that 9.5 to 9.99 area, right, where ETN's 9.73, so he's right between 9.5 and 9.99, you have Derrick Henry, Melvin Gordon, Trent Richardson, Joe Mixon, Adrian Peterson. All of those guys have top 12 seasons at this point. And this is also what the model spits out as his comps here. You have Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Sony Michelle, and Marshawn Lynch. Sure, he could be Sony Michelle. I think that that's probably his most likely path here. But he has upside for a lot more in the area of, I think, Melvin Gordon. I think Marshawn Lynch kind of makes some sense as just guys that he could eventually be. And like I said, it's not that I'm moving him like ahead of like Dobbins and Akers. Like definitively, he's just now in that tier for me. I moved him up from the tier behind that running back group to that tier so he is now in that area of like Eckler Mixon ETN Dalvin Cook Kamara uh Akers Dobbins he's now in the mix there whereas I used to not really think that he belonged in there now the next guy that's going to be skyrocketing up my dynasty rankings this this video is already going on way too long but it, I don't care this is this is one take a little bit rusty getting some things off my chest but now we'll talk about CeeDee Lamb and you guys are probably going to really appreciate this because I, I've gotten a lot of not hate, but just like pushback on a lot of my CD lamb um, pessimism. I think I was being way too harsh on CD lamb after some thinking and doing some research. I, I had him at the 402 as the wide receiver 14, which I think is probably egregious looking back. I now have him as the 301 as my 301 as the wide receiver six. Now, just to be clear, I don't know why I didn't make this clear earlier, but this is like dynasty super flex tight end premium. I am at the 301. I still have him. As a sell in the rankings, I have him as a soft sell because he goes at like wide receiver three in the early to mid second of a lot of startups. I saw him go in my most recent startup at the 201. So I still have him as a sell because if you can go from like CD to T Higgins and get like a plus on top, if you can do like CD Lamb and a 2023 second for T Higgins and a 2023 first, I would be doing that all day long. But that's about it. I wouldn't like, I, I wouldn't demand you to sell cd lamb i think that he is a good sell just because the market has him like in a tier ahead of like t higgins and uh cooper cup and aj brown debo samuel that group of wide receivers but in terms of me moving up cd lamb from that like low-end wide receiver one to now being a top six dynasty wide receiver why is that and it's because we now have 2022 adp from underdog and we have 2022 projections and they both align with not only cd lamb being a wide receiver one but being a like a high-end wide receiver one this is him on underdog he is the wide receiver six here and I, I kind of do feel that the market probably views him too high in redraft but it's also hard it's it's hard to not respect it and it's hard to not put him any lower it's hard to put him any lower than wide receiver six in my dynasty rankings when you see in redraft adp he's the wide receiver six and if i have t higgins as like my wide receiver five in dynasty heading into year three as the wide receiver 11 in 2022 ADP, then CD Lamb really can't be outside of that same tier as the wide receiver six in redraft ADP, if that makes sense. They're both going into year three. They're both the same age. CD Lamb was actually a better prospect. T Higgins, I think, has been better this far. Not by a ton, but I think that he has been better thus far. And if their projections are about the same heading into year three, then CD Lamb needs to be higher. And it's not just CD, it's not just ADP going crazy about him at wide receiver six. He's also very high in Mike Clay's projections, where Mike Clay has him at wide receiver eight. 
and that's a little bit of a that's a little bit of a ding there right so he's right next to t higgins like again i think that my overarching point is i'm very high on t higgins i actually have him as my wide receiver five in dynasty but wherever you have t higgins in your dynasty rankings cd lamb should probably be right next to him and when you look at mike clay who does again very conservative projections he does not make any like hard stands he is just trying to get it as accurate as possible he's trying to be as conservative as possible and it's pretty wild here because cd lamb is the wide receiver eight but one of his biggest knocks from me is that he doesn't have a high target share. But in this projection, he has a 21% target share and is still the wide receiver eight. So what that tells me that there is a lot of meat left on the bone for him to command more targets because we're expecting him to take a step forward. 21% target share is what he was about at last year. If he takes that true like year three step, like we saw with Debo last year, like we saw with Marquise Brown, like we saw with Calvin Ridley a few years ago, if he can take a step up from 21% and get into that like 23, 24, 25, 26% target share range, he's now in the top five conversation in that offense catching passes from Dak Prescott. Now, again, I knock him for having a 20.7 target share last year, 20, 20.7% target share last year, but there is signal that he could increase that because on a per route basis, he was commanding a target on 24.7% of routes, which when your target share is lagging behind your per route target share, that means that if you can get more routes, you're looking better in terms of target share. Because I think we're going to get into this in a second with our next player, but routes are given, targets are earned. CeeDee Lamb was only on the field for 80% of the routes last year. I think now with Amari gone, he should probably be more of a 95% plus route participation type guy, which... I think in that case, it's probably, you should probably view him more as like a 23 to 24% target share guy than a 21%, which then puts him in that area of top five wide receiver, not only in dynasty, but in redraft. And here are his year three comps, which also kind of, you know, put me on to putting CD Lamb up higher. These are very strong. He has Julio Jones, Des Bryant, Calvin Ridley. Again, we had... We had Ridley, I think Debo. Ridley and Debo are two of the more clear, like, year three breakouts we've seen in the past. CeeDee Lamb seems like he is headed for a pretty big year three breakout. I think it's in his range of outcomes to have, like, a top five finish this year. Uh, but again, through two years, these are based on his prospect here, points per game, and target share through year one. And then I filtered it down to who had similar year ones and then also had similar year twos. And that is in the range of... Calvin Ridley, Des Bryant, where you even have guys like Debo Samuel, who last year had, I want to say almost a 30% target share for a certain stretch of time. He was only at an 18% target share in year two. You had Des Bryant at a 20% in year two. Julio had a 21% in year two, who has had a massive target share later on in his career. So CeeDee Lamb, the the hope for CeeDee Lamb to ever be a 25% plus target share guy, that is not that is not out of the picture. He probably needs to be in that 24% range this year, though, for that to be for him to have like a monster like 28% target share a year at any point in time but again I think I was being too hard on him his targets on a per route basis are are encouraging he now has the year three step in front of him or year three step up in front of him a lot of good stuff to sort of be optimistic about CeeDee Lamb in the future I will be pretty high on him in redraft I think he has a great ceiling now our last player we're going to talk about Gabriel Davis, one of the most polarizing guys in Dynasty. I have a guy in my Discord, um, Hoagie, like 77. He is a huge Gabriel Davis guy. He actually had a thread on him that was really, it was actually really, really solid. Um, and he has pretty much been begging me to move up Gabriel Davis. And he tells me to move up Gabriel Davis 20 spots. And I'm like, I'll move him up like 8 to 10. And I keep inching him up further because we'll get into it in a second. But I keep on inching him up where I had him last, last 
or dynasty rankings update, I had him at the 12, 12 as the wide receiver 62. Now I have him at the 909 as the wide receiver 45. And again, I used to be a very strong proponent of the Gabriel Davis fade, you know, type wave we're seeing. But I've come to a point where I'm about on par with ADP and Dynasty. And what it really comes down to, like the, the pure basis of it with Gabriel Davis, I think he's good at football. That is really what it boils down to Gabriel Davis. I think that he is good at football. Where there are guys that are, you know, at the at the high end of Dynasty ADP with a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, I'm not sure if he is good at football. Um, I'm trying to think of some other people that, you know, you aren't sure if they're good at football. We aren't sure if any of the rookies are good at football. Gabriel Davis, I know is not a stud but i know that he's very good at football actually uh, let me let me take back that juju one because we know that juju's pretty good at football but you get what i'm saying there are a lot there there are a lot of guys with question marks but i do just believe that gabriel davis is good at football he can play that's really what it comes down to with gabriel davis where a lot of guys in his area his range you don't know that they can play and we all know that you know the the chiefs game is wild but it is worth mentioning eight catches for 201 yards and four touchdowns in a playoff game a loser goes home playoff game in the what was that the divisional round it's just wild eight for 201 and four in a playoff game is just absolutely insane opposite of like a Stefan Diggs and he was the guy now the biggest drawback that a lot of you know nerds like me have on Gabriel Davis is his target share was only 10 percent and it's really really tough to to get past but I think there's a little bit of context people really aren't understanding and it's that he was behind Manuel Sanders and Cole Beasley through the first 13 weeks so as you guys can see, the red line divides week like 13 to week 14 and on. And both players in Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, were good players in their own right. You had Cole Beasley, who had been with the team for a while. He had his very refined role in the slot. You had Emmanuel Sanders, who was actually really good through like the first like five to eight weeks in fantasy. He wasn't just some slouch. He, he, he has played well. Emmanuel Sanders has played well wherever he's been the last couple of years. Now, the minute Sanders goes down, it opens an opportunity for Gabe Davis. And as you guys can see, his target or his his snap share and his routes immediately skies up he goes from or skyrockets up he immediately goes from nine routes eight routes in week 13 to 43 to 32 27 42 12 32 he he begins running routes on a pretty much a starter basis he's playing 80 percent plus of the snaps and a lot of these are in playoff games too or two of them were in playoff games as well where they're using gabriel davis a ton and the key thing here is that I think that citing Gabriel Davis's target share is sort of in bad faith because, again, we want to look at target rate. On a per-route basis, was he commanding targets? What I care about most for a wide receiver is can he command targets? What this tells to me on the screen is that he commands targets 22.2% of his routes. We just talked about CeeDee Lamb, who did on 24.7% of routes, and we think CeeDee Lamb is a top-six dynasty wide receiver. Gabriel Davis was doing it on 22.2% of his routes, but had a 10.9% target share. Now, again, if that target share lies behind the target per route run we believe that that target share should go up if given the routes now the key distinction here is how can you expect him to have a you know 20 percent target share 18 percent target share on only 50 percent of the routes it's not like he's a first round pick like cd lamb he's a day three guy who was going into his his second year it's hard for a competing team like the bills to just allow him to be the wide receiver two right off the bat in all formations and all situations right so i think the key distinction here is that Targets are earned, routes are given for the most part. So on a per route, ba on a per route basis, Gabriel Davis was dominating. 22.2% of, uh, of a target on all of his routes is really strong. Now, when we look at Mike Clay, again, we're going to circle back to him. This is what he has projected for Gabriel Davis in 2022. And he's going to be all the way on the bottom. 
he has him penciled in for an 18% target share, so a pretty big increase from that 10% number with 63 catches, 918 yards, and nine touchdowns. As pretty much a touchdown-dependent wide receiver three, heading into year three on a high-volume offense with Josh Allen at quarterback. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Wide receiver 29 is what he has him coming in at. That is probably fair. So I don't think that he's going to be this mega producer. I'm not expecting him to, you know, overtake Stephon Diggs or be anything crazy. But I think I was underselling him where I usually would have. I think that, you know, you look at that 10% target share, you're like, he's never even going to be a difference maker in fantasy. This year, make no mistake, he will be a wide receiver three in fantasy. It just depends how much more he can be than that in the future. Now, Gabriel Davis in redraft is kind of ridiculous. His, his wide receiver, like, price tag is like wide receiver 26 or like wide receiver 25. In dynasty, though, he's in the wide receiver 40-ish range, and you're getting somebody who's penciled in going into year three as the wide receiver 29 in redraft projections that you can get in the wide receiver 40-ish type range in dynasty, and he's young. I think that's a fine bet to make. At his price in dynasty, that's a fine bet to make. I no longer am on the sell Gabriel Davis train. I'm not buying him either, but at his ADP of like around like the ninth round is like the wide receiver 40-ish or something. That's fine to me. So I just want to come out on the record. I am I moved up Gabriel Davis like three rounds, and he is now no longer a sell or a buy for me. He's just somebody that at his ADP, I am fine with. I, I'm going to have him on a couple. If I have like a Josh Allen uh, underdog team, I will be stacking, you know, Gabriel Davis, Diggs, whoever many people I can get on that passing offense to Josh Allen. Now that's going to do it for us today, fellas. Just want to say one more time. If you're out there, you haven't played on underdog yet. We will do an underdog stream probably on Sunday. If you haven't hopped on underdog yet, they have best ball mania. They have like pickums for the NBA contests. They have a bunch of really cool stuff. So if you hop on there, use promo code Ron when you first time deposit, use my promo code Ron and they will match your deposit up to $100. So you deposit 10, they'll match 10, 25, they'll match 25. I'm telling you guys, you want to hop on those Best Ball Mania drafts early. I think I'm already like 15 to 20 deep, going to be max filling that eventually, but that's going to do it for us today, fellas. Again, appreciate all the birthday wishes. Had a great time this past weekend. We're going to get back to grinding. We should have videos. I believe we'll have a video out tonight, live stream tomorrow, video Friday, live stream Saturday, video Sunday. And then next week, probably back to pretty much what, we, what we're usually at of like six to seven videos. So with that being said, I love you guys. And as always, if you appreciate, if you enjoyed the video, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like, and I will see you guys in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Channel, Adam's on. Foolies, glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.